It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Chaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. The number to call if you have a question, again, KSL Talk or 801-575-8255, or text us your questions at 57500. Still a lot of questions about question one, Governor. Let's go to John in Ogden, who has a follow-up question. John? Hello, Governor. Hey, I appreciate John. your I appreciate your service and leadership of, of the state, so thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, however, I am in a little bit disagreement with, with the question one. I appreciated your comments earlier. Uh, my concern is not where the money is going or how it's going to get into the school system, but it's rather the form of the gasoline tax. Uh, uh, this is a sales tax on gasoline. It's the most regressive kind of tax we can give, which is going to affect the poor. It's going to increase our cost to get to work, all the transportation. And it'll increase the goods and services of everything that is transported by gasoline to our stores. And, and so the effect of it will be much greater than just the $36 a year uh, that that's being announced. Can you, isn't there a fairer, more uh, creative way of, of taxing us to accomplish the same goals? Well, John, you make some really good points, and that was part of the discussion we had this past legislative session on uh, if you're going to raise a tax, where is the uh, best way to do it and not have a, a devastating effect or a dampening effect on the economy? And any kind of a tax increase has that potential. Uh, the gasoline tax was one that was after the debates were back and forth with the legislature and with the our schools now and, and the education stakeholders. They came up with the idea of having a smaller gasoline tax increase rather than the larger income tax increase, which would have had, a uh, they believe, and I, I concur, a more detrimental impact on the economy. Um, there's no question that a tax increase is a tax increase. Uh, the, uh, I guess if there's any justification uh, besides the fact we need more money into the schools uh, and, and for a variety of good reasons, but it's because uh, we have not adjusted the gasoline tax for 20 years to uh, compensate for the loss of purchasing power. So that's why I, when I say a salient fact is that our, the, the amount of money you pay for the gasoline tax proportionate to your income on a statewide average is smaller than it's ever been in our history since the inception of the gasoline tax in 1929. So that's an area where you can kind of adjust. At least the thinking was that's a place where we'll have minimal negative impact, where we would have a maximum impact with the income tax. Now, nobody likes to raise taxes, uh, and we happen to be in a, a state that has actually been pretty darn competitive in our tax rates. We have the three-legged stool of sales tax uh, and property tax and income tax, and we are very competitive in all of them. 
but our income tax is not as competitive as we are on property tax, for example, and uh, we're a little higher on the gasoline tax. So it's it's kind of a mix and match and find out what you think is the best way to have a tax policy. We're going to be addressing that, by the way, in the upcoming legislative session. Uh, our, our marching orders are uh, that I've put out there, I want to broaden the uh, tax base because it's being shrunk, it's being shrunk as we get more service oriented in our economy. We need to broaden our tax and lower the rates. And so again, this is this didn't just come out of the sky. This was actually after a lot of negotiation over a couple of months. Thank you. Thank All you. right, John. Thanks for your call. We have Kim on the line who has a follow up question on question one. Go ahead, Kim. Hi. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you, Governor. Thank um, you. A couple questions about uh, question one. I keep hearing that the money is going to go straight to the classroom, straight to the classroom. So I'd like to know how much money are we talking about? Are we talking about every classroom in the state or are we talking about classrooms for Title I schools, failing schools, where more money typically goes? And then my other question is uh, I keep hearing that this is to uh, recruit and retain good teachers, and it seems to me there's a lot of other problems in the education system besides just more money at it, and I think that would be just throwing more money at a problem and not looking at the root causes of why we are facing a teacher shortage. Well, it's not one at the exception of everything else. It's really a combination of a lot of things. Uh, One, uh, good success in the classroom starts at the home with parents, which is where it should be. And right. but we have different uh, uh, kinds of home life, and uh, teachers end up becoming sometimes surrogate parents. And I think we need to do more in counseling. We need to have more counselors to help uh, direct pathways for college and career readiness, as well as some of the mental health issues that we see cropping up around the country, suicide prevention, uh, those kinds of things. So there's a lot of areas of need. Uh, certainly in Utah, we're not just throwing money at education. My gosh, we're the lowest per people spending in the nation. That doesn't mean we don't want to have accountability and transparency and make sure that we're finding effective use of the taxpayers' dollars. I think that's best addressed, by the way, at the local level. Uh, we have uh, uh, 31 different school boards that uh, decide how to spend monies. This money that's going to be raised, which is going to be about 130 or $140 million of additional money per year, uh, will go to the local school districts, not controlled by the state, not by the legislature. It will go to the local school districts to say, here's what we need in our school district. We need increased teacher salaries. We need more public safety, more resource uh, 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 people in our schools, more counseling. Uh, uh, so there's a variety of things. But who's best to make that determination? Those local school board members elected by the local people there that are really kind of the board of directors directing what happens in their schools in their district and their administrative assistants or the principals in the school. So I don't know how better you could have the money distributed in a more effective, efficient way than, than what's going to happen with this initiative. But it's going to get to the local level, and you can talk to your school board members, or your principals, and make sure that it's being spent the way you would like to see it spent. I'm sure they're looking for input on that. But I trust the local people to make the right decisions. That, of course, is going to be influenced by parents and people that live there and have their kids in the school. Right. So you said there's 31 different districts in the state. So is that just going to be split evenly amongst the 31 districts? Or no, it no, it will be decided? it will be distributed proportionately. All school districts are not the same size as for students. 
And so there will be a proportional amount of money given. There is some consideration for rural parts of our state where they have a little more difficult time. They don't have as many students, but they have the fixed costs that are there, uh, which are similar to maybe larger populated areas. But it's a proportionate way that it will be distributed so it's fair and, and equitable to the school districts. And it's really going to go right to the to the local level where it really is most needed and where they know best how to spend the money. Do they have to report back to anybody? There will be oversight. Absolutely. The school districts will report to the state school board that report to me and to the legislature. There will be oversight and transparency. Uh, Again, nothing in life is perfect. This is a needed shot in the arm for additional resources. We have a goal of becoming the best education system in America. We want to have the outcomes of graduation rates, ACT test scores, uh, you know, our minority people that have improved graduation rates. All the things that go into measurement of success, that's what we're using as our uh, goal. And uh, there's going to be accountability on this. I think we have the chance to do something remarkably well here in the state of Utah. Uh, We know the public safety issues. We know that we need counseling. Guess. We we know that we are one of the few states that has a growth in student population. It costs us about $75 million every year just to take care of the growth that's taking place with our student population in our schools. Uh, that's just to trade water. So, uh, again, we've put nearly three out of every $4 of new money that we have in this state, thanks to a healthy, growing economy, into education. And we're having a hard time keeping up. So this is kind of an, an infusion of, of money through this uh, uh, question number one, which will give us a boost and I think put us into a, a, the top 10 in America and help us in our quest over the next 10 years. We have a 10-year plan, by the way, that we put together with all the stakeholders, business, uh, legislators, politicians, educators, everybody you can think of saying, in 10 years, we want to be number one in the nation. And if we do that, by the way, all that does is fun, uh, fuel a better economic growth and expansion and better quality of life for Utah. So we need to do it. We are doing it. And this will help us. Okay, one last question. Is, is, so with the 10-year plan and everything, education, do you believe that starts at what, kindergarten level, preschool level? Where it, does it, it, start? it, it starts at birth. It starts at the home. It starts with parents. It starts with them training them, giving them good principles, teaching them how to learn, the love of learning, teach them to read even before they get to, to kindergarten. So a lot of uh, preschool efforts are being made now. We have optional pre-K and kindergarten in our state now. We're using technology. Uh, we're trying to help those who have uh, maybe a broken home, our minorities, those that are what we call at-risk kids. But it starts immediately. And it's not a matter of, well, let's catch them up in second grade or third grade. It starts immediately. And, and government doesn't have the main role, but it has a supporting role with a family. All right, Kim, thank you for your call. The number to call if you have a question, 801-575-8255 or KSL Talk. You can also text us your questions, 575-00. We'll be right back. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us today. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. And, Governor, the gas tax definitely has been the favorite <laughs> subject of the day. Before we move on, we did still have a couple of questions about that. Uh, one of those, whether diesel would be included. 
it, it is in some cases for those who are, in fact, long-haul truckers, the, the tax will be put on them. But farmers, for their diesel needs on the farm and ranch, they're exempt. Okay. And how about, uh, there's a question about, we're trying to move to cars that are electric cars. So is this really the right way to go? Well, it is right now. Again, things can change. That's the evolution of the marketplace, and certainly disruption occurs. We've talked in terms of more electric cars. There's a benefit to having electric cars for our environment. Uh, And so I expect that as we go through the next 10 years, there might be some modifications and tweaking necessary. You know, tax policy is complex. It's kind of like Mm whack-a-mole. You you push it down here and something pops up someplace else. And so you try to find the right balance so you can have maximum opportunity to grow the economy, uh, extract the revenues that are needed to run the government and the government services that we the people are uh, ask for a need. Not anymore, by the way. We're a limited government uh, here in Utah. But it's complex, and, and the market changes. And so, again, I mentioned earlier, we've gone from more manufacturing to less manufacturing, more service. Well, uh, our our tax policies now have been oriented to products. And we don't make as many products, and so the tax portion of that's shrinking as part of the economy. And But are we going to start taxing uh, medical services, we're going to start taxing our CPAs, uh, the services that we render for, uh, get from anybody else, start taxing that like a sales tax on the service as opposed to a sales tax on the good. That's going to be part of the debate over the next decade to see where we're going to land with the next iteration of tax policy. And again, we're going to start that discussion here in the upcoming legislative session, particularly when it comes to closing loopholes. And, and things that maybe are become obsolete, again, with the mantra being we want to broaden the base so everybody pays their fair share, exempt out those who are in poverty, those who are low on the income scale, but broaden the base and lower the rate. Everybody wins. The economy will continue to fire well, and uh, it's going to be probably the best and most optimal place we can get. But it needs to be constantly nuanced and tweaked here and there, and no different in this next 10 years than we've done the past 10 years. Right. The texters, their their problem seems to be that why the gas tax for education? Why not some other way? Well, there's probably other ways to do it. You know, there's no question about there's other ways, but that was part of the debate. And so can we raise property taxes? Do we want to raise income taxes? Do we want to raise sales taxes? User fees seem to be a good way. Those who use the roads the most should pay the most. And over time, out of the general fund, which is used for general purposes and is used to augment, not supplant, the income tax is earmarked for education, but we've used the general fund to supplement education funding. But more and more of that money was taken to use roads for maintenance and the building of roads because our gasoline tax was not covering the cost anymore. It used to be 60% user fees, gasoline tax, 40% general fund. Now it's 60% general fund and only 40% user fees, gasoline tax. That's out of whack. So this is going to put it back into proportionality, really the way we think good policy ought to be. That's part of the compromise. After a lot of lengthy debate and discussion, they thought this was the best way to raise the revenue necessary to enhance education with minimal uh, detrimental impact on people and our economy. Then clarify why we can't use the surplus to infuse this, that money into education. Well, we will use the surplus to infuse it into education. But when you get a surplus, which we just announced, about $150 million, that means that when we've authorized money to be spent, we have not spent it all. We've come in under budget. But that ends up being one-time money. 
So we can't pay teachers' salaries and the ongoing needs with with uh, one-time money. That's what the f- people in Washington, D.C. do. That's why they keep borrowing more and more money because you don't have a revenue stream. You have to borrow, and then what are you going to borrow next year to supplant that? So we don't have structural imbalance. That's why we're one of only nine states that has a AAA bond rating. So the need to have an ongoing revenue stream like a gasoline tax is so that we can have revenues that take care of the growing needs for education to pay for counseling, uh, for teacher salaries, larger or smaller classroom sizes. We'll use the surplus to, to build things like a building here or there for education on a college campus or a new uh, uh, a public school or adding to more technology, one-time purchases. So you need them both. The money's going to be spent largely on education, the $150 million surplus, but that does not supplant the need to have a revenue stream to augment the things we've talked about. Before we run out of time, we have uh, texters asking the question. They want your thoughts about the increase of Medicare, the question that's on the ballot. Well, the increase of Medicaid, I think what you're talking about, not Medicare. Yes, Medicaid Medicare, expansion, Medicaid. which Excuse is me. Medicaid is really a, a growing a fiscal problem for all the states around the country. Uh, governor Greg War famously said, who's the governor of uh, of Washington, a good Democrat, that the budget buster of states' budgets is Medicaid. Right now, we're at 19 percent. Those of our budget is Medicaid. Those who've expanded Medicaid are now up to nearly 30 percent. Uh, Kentucky, uh, they've had a, a nearly a, a one and a half times increase, so 134, 35% increase in demand that they had not anticipated. That's how far the projections were uh, below what the actuality became. They're at 30%. Many states have expanded at 30%. So it's a matter of not want. Uh, it's not a matter of not wanting to provide access to good health care. We want to do that, and we need to start addressing the cause of rising costs of health care because cost means accessibility. But we need to make sure that what we do is fiscally responsible. We had had proposed why Healthy Utah was more fiscally responsible. This initiative didn't have a tax increase in it. Uh, it had uh, participation by all of the stakeholders. The waivers that we've asked for that we have not been re- granted from the Washington and the Health Department yet, again, a better format than this initiative on Medicaid expansion. And it's because this is not fiscally responsible in the long term. It may be okay for the few years, but then we're going to have to expand and where's that money going to come from? Another tax increase? Uh, have to take it away from education? Other areas to afford to, to pay for Medicaid? That's the concern, and it's a legitimate concern we're going to have to address. Before we run out of time, we just have one final question for you, and it's been a tough wildfire season. I understand that you're asking for an amendment to the national roadless rule. Explain how that's going to help. Well, the roadless rule is very well intended, designed to make sure we are forced or managed correctly. Unfortunately, the unintended consequence was it really handcuffed those experts, our people who actually do the work on the ground and managing our forests. It eliminates the ability to thin some of the needed trees uh, based on caliper, the size of the trunk. Uh, it, it's not allowed us to spray for the bark beetle in some instances. It doesn't allow us to use mechanized equipment where we sometimes need to go in there and scarf the underbrush. So uh, Colorado and uh, Idaho have already uh, asked for some waivers and some adjustments to have optimal management. I mean, we want to have healthy forests. This is all this is about is having more healthy forests. That means our forest fires will not be as catastrophic. Our, our our trees will be more healthy. Uh, we won't despoil with wildfires the air quality as much or our watersheds. So the goal towards this is what everybody, I think, uniformly agrees to. 
And by the way, we're, we're, we're gathering information now. We're investigating all the prob- we're, uh, issues and the challenges. We're looking at Idaho and Colorado as an example. And then we'll make our proposal to um, our Department of Agriculture and the Forest to see if we can, in fact, make a modification on the roadless rule, which will lead us to having better and healthier forests, which I think everybody can support. Right. Governor, this is the last broadcast from our old studio. When we speak to you in January, we'll be coming to you from brand new studio. So thanks for being here for our last broadcast in this studio. Well, thanks for the memories. This has uh, right. been a wonderful. We were just figuring out we've been probably about 80 times here in this. Uh, so this is kind of a nostalgic time. It we'll is. take a lot of pictures so we remember it. But we're looking forward to the new studios and the opportunities of the first of the year. Right. We'll see you after the holidays. Thank All you, right. Governor. Thank you.